the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to the Forward Together podcast. I'm Jared Dean and I'm joined as always by Paul Gosling. Hi, Jared. So, Paul, we have a slight change of format to our podcast than normal. Normally we meet uh, with one individual, have a conversation and that's it done. But we've decided that today's guest murdered a couple of episodes. So who is it that we have this month? It's this Dennis week. Bradley, who yeah. is one of the most interesting, almost iconic figures in recent Northern Ireland history and events. And the truth is, not only has Dennis a lot of very interesting to say things to say, mm-hmm. also he is quite willing to talk. Yeah. So it murdered so, two episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> why why try and cut something down when actually there's a lot of quality in terms of what Dennis is saying? I mean, I, I find Dennis one of the most interesting people in Northern Ireland because he does, he thought a lot and he has not necessarily got the answers to the big questions, but he at least has thought in detail about what the big questions are. Yeah, yeah. He may have more questions about the big questions, but it's a starting point for a conversation. Um, I found it really interesting when he started talking around civic society and our, our question and our focus was about increasing the civic voice. And he responded by saying there's no point having a strong civil society or civic society if you've no government they try and influence well that is true yes of course we've got a a choice of different governments and that's Mm. also a point that dennis raises during the conversations uh but yeah one of the things that i did think was very interesting was that uh, uh, he he gave an example of how Sinn fein has actually although we we hear comments by some people within Sinn Féin about how they they are concerned about the use of civic society and the legitimacy of civic society. The point Dennis has made is that Sinn Féin is quite willing to engage with parts of civic nationalism Mm -hmm. beyond their comfort zone in order to talk with them and and that Sinn Féin did that before they walked out of government and they, you know, the the walk out of government was to a large extent the response by people from outside of Sinn Féin who would be you know, probably a lot of would be voters for Sinn Féin, but who felt that uh, actually the, the broader nationalist and Republican community weren't getting enough out of government. Yeah. So that was an example where Sinn Féin actually engaged with civic society beyond its comfort zone. Okay. Dennis also reflects on the Anglo-Irish dimension or to any possible solutions for here. Well, that's right. And, and obviously, you know, that's something that... Uh, uh, we'll listen to him in a moment uh, talking mm. about uh, Eames Bradley, you know, the, the, the yeah. suggestion about the, how we deal with the legacy. And, you know, the, the, his regrets about the lack of engagement with the, the Irish government. And, and his point is, you know, that there are problems. And we know this, you know, we can see that actually with the relationship between Karen Bradley and, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, Simon Coveney. That mm. actually, uh, that relationship doesn't really work. Yeah. You know, and the and that's sort of like symbolic of the fact that the relationship between the British government and the Irish government it doesn't work, and that's not just about Brexit. Yeah. You know, it didn't work before. It's not working now, and it's difficult to see how we'll get back together. But actually, we need good quality Anglo-Irish relationships in order to to continue the building of peace within Northern Ireland. Okay, well, let's hear part one of the conversation that you had with Dennis. 
I'm now joined by uh, Dennis Bradley, uh, who needs no introduction. Uh, Dennis, thank you very much for doing this. Um, the first question is, how do we strengthen civic society? Civic society, to some degree or other, depends on political society, political institutions, political engagement. Uh, civic society is inclined to keep its head low until it sees where the river's running. And the river at the moment is running in so many directions that civic society will, I think, will opt, apart from those who are very committed to whatever position, whatever ideology they adopt, will be inclined to stand back, watch, observe. That's no bad thing in itself, and I think that the politics needs to take that into account and will take that into account. Um, I think that we in in the north of Ireland are in a in a peculiar situation in that we have become observers of so many things, including a lack of government, and including and I don't mean that just in the sense of the politicians being not engaged. It's almost as if many of the structures that we created were we're focused on actually bringing politics to a place where we all could live with. In other words, if they got 50%, somebody else would get 50%, which was, which was engaged in the overarching politics of the ideologies and the old past and the, the divisions of nationalism and, or unionism and, and, and nationalism and England and Ireland and so forth. But the outflow of that is that I think that we have ended up with uh, institutions in a civil a, a civil service um, that don't function particularly well because they either waited or they looked or they read the bigger picture but they were not particularly engaged I suppose in what I would call innovative uh, responses to civic needs so it was more about an accommodation that satisfied mm-hmm. everyone rather yeah. than actually a deep-seated yeah. strategy and progress yeah. yeah i don't completely blame them for that in that you know what they were at was was in many ways um encouraged by the governments remember there's there's many ways in which we stand on the shoulders of the good friday agreement but there's even a greater way in which we stand on the shoulders of anglo-irish relationships um, and Anglo-Irish relationships had gone off kilter and they went off kilter for a couple of reasons first of all they went off it because I think their assessment was leave the north to mature let the politicians even if they fight with each other even if they don't do good governance we will stand behind we will stand slightly at a distance from that and we'll only come in at the last moment and we let them kind of grow in on themselves and, and learn to be amongst each other and then that was blown off for a couple of reasons obviously because of the the the, the walkout by Sinn Féin the, um, the various situations that happened within the DUP but then Brexit was a was an added unforeseen factor that kind of blew it completely, blew the ship way out of the sea in which it was it was floating and into a different place. So I think it's very difficult for civic society in that sense, in that it will end up frustrated watching, you know, education being very unattended to in in policy terms, health being unattended to in policy terms, um, development, uh, economic development being unattended to in in political, in in bigger terms. 
all of those things are being unattended to uh, and I don't think the civic society can persuade the the powers that be who are basically the, the civil servants and the senior civil servants uh, either individually or collectively to engage in a way that that one might desire, one might need for a particular time. So civic society is kind of going to be, the, but it's, but civic society's interests are also going to be taken up by the whole Brexit situation in that that's where the focus of attention is presently and has been for the last year and probably will be for the next year or two. So can civic society be strengthened at the moment? It could be. I suppose I could put this better by, by telling it to you. I, I actually, the Roundtree Trust asked me about three years ago, or maybe longer than that, uh, what role could they play? Which was an interesting thing, because I think that they had played a reasonably significant role way back in the pre-priest days. And I had advised at that stage that what they could do was set up a kind of educational situations within uh, particularly working class areas, particularly working class areas. Um, If they had put enough people on the ground to actually try to get uh, different communities to talk about these things, to engage in this, that, that, that type of talking was incredibly important. And that type of talking doesn't come out of any other forum, really, does it? Other than in civic society. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, if you if you take the if you take the the learning from from the peace situation, um, there are two. First of all, I'm not too sure that civic society brings about peace on its own. You need the the high politics, but then again, high politics. I'm not too sure brings about peace on its own in that you need civic society. At least you need the buy-in of a, of a fair number or a fair uh, amount of civic society to make the peace achievable or to make it perhaps a little bit more constructive, a little bit more imaginative than it might have been. If you're actually going against civic society, it's it's very, very difficult. But I think... I think that there was a place for... It wasn't about moving beyond the Good Friday Agreement, but it was moving to a place where the large constitutional issues were beginning to put themselves forward, even before Brexit happened. That people were finding it... That politics was finding it difficult to, to remain within the narrow within the narrow red lines of, of, of the Good Friday Agreement. And I think had there been... I mean, this didn't happen, and the Roundtree Trust didn't do that. They didn't take it my advice. Uh, and it wasn't given all that passionately. It was just, what, well, what are you going to do with whatever bit of money you have? Uh, and I was saying to them, well, I think that there's a place for that. Now, looking back, I think that my instincts were right. I think that there is, was and is a place for conversations to be had, to be facilitated. You may not have thousands of people turning up at them, but I think that you will have enough people being interested. I think that there is a, a vacuum where people want conversations that are larger than just their own focused political party uh, and their own ideology. And I think that they're open to hearing different things and hearing different viewpoints. And I think that all of that should be facilitated and still could be facilitated, which would strengthen. Now, I think that you don't just do it in in, in the working class areas. I think that you also do it among the middle class areas as well. Uh, I think that the professional classes 
perhaps are very keen not to get engaged at times and when they're when they're unsure or when they when the landscape's unclear i think that they will 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 hide a little bit behind or move back into their own more safe positions but i think that there is a possible engagement i was very interested that um, i mean Sinn Féin are very good at this let me say this. When I say they're very good at it, when Sinn Fein were very unsure of themselves about whether whether they were going to where they were going to jump at the last time between the DUP, would they go back into the DUP or would they stand aside? They engaged civic society in about four meetings in Northern Ireland. And I was a I was amazed the numbers of people who turned out and the people who turned out at that. Uh, you could hardly identify a shinner in the room. It was mostly, you know, the doctors and the teachers and the nurses and the, all the people who, who might be Sinn Féin voters, but they certainly weren't Sinn Féin activists. Um, and at least some of the conversation, it wasn't particularly good conversation in my opinion, but at least those people were in the room. Now, getting people into the room is a very important thing, a very difficult thing, uh, and not everybody's particularly good at it. Sinn Féin happened to be, I think they worked it. They worked the phones, let's put it that way. They worked the phones in the sense that I got a phone call to say... Um, would you come to this thing? And I think all the people in the room got that phone call. The Civic Forum clearly cannot fulfil that function that you're talking about. So can citizens' assemblies like those in the South do that? Yeah, but so the, yes, they can. If, if, if you had the, I suppose, the other political entities that make that sensible and give that a purpose. In other words, you need government. But that that only really has a purpose if 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 it has something into which it can speak. What would it speak into at the moment? I suppose it could speak into the vacuum. Mm. <laughs> Maybe that's possible. Um, well, you've still got local government, of course. So you could you use still have assemblies to form yes, local government. Yes, I think that the I think that the questions at the moment or politics at the moment is out and beyond local government. I think that. Uh, Local government will follow where, where wherever things go. I mean, I think the the, fo- the questions that are going to follow this are going to inform the possibilities or the lack of possibilities uh, about civic society. Uh, I'm not as great a civic society believer as some people believe. I think it follows where politics goes, um, and I, I certainly do think it, it, it informs politics, but only. I don't think it informs it in the harder questions. I really don't. I think it's inclined to watch. I think it's it's too careful. It's too hard to organise. It's too and, diverse. It's and the too... sections that are well organised, you know, the funded community and voluntary sector, I mean, the, a lot of people have said to me, well, they're not able to be genuinely independent. They are typically associated with some cause or another, and they are scared about their funding. Correct. I mean, I mean, you've had an example of that within the last number of years. Um a lot of organisations, even under the Stormont situation, as cutbacks began to happen a little bit, people were beginning, organisations were beginning to feel the, the the draft coming in upon them. And they're not particularly independent at that moment of time. They can be independent when they're feeling strong. I, am, I, I believe it's necessary. I, I am a great believer in people being honest and open and independent and voicing what, what, what they think. But there was... There were arguments within this, or were debates, not arguments. There were debates that that the peace process came out of civic society, came out of the grassroots. 
I never believed that. I never accepted that. Uh, I think that the grassroots played a part. I think it was important that they be prepared. Uh, when I said Sinn Féin was good at that, a very good example of it was a policing issue for Sinn Féin. They just didn't jump into policing. They went round and had meetings all over the place, and some of those meetings were, were pretty shouty, um, and they were certainly hot and bothered, but at least the meetings took place and people felt they had their say. Now, could Sinn Féin have done that without going and consulting and having those meetings? My answer to that is yes, they could have, because uh, people in Sinn Féin follow the leadership more than any party I've ever seen uh, you know, in, in, in my lifetime. Um, but, but there's a wit there that knows that it is the right thing to do, to consult and to hear and to get the feedback and to bring people with them. Um, we're at, we're in a place at the moment that it is not just one party, it's not even one government anymore. You know, this is such a large volcanic change that is happening that civic society will 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 continue to watch. I think for a period of time. But boiling it down into Northern Ireland, I think that it would be a good and a healthy thing if people were were given forums. But I wouldn't expect them to be the the changers that people might expect. I mean, assuming that the objective is to move towards a shared, integrated society, I mean, how do we move towards that objective? You can only really do a jigsaw if you have seen the picture of what the jigsaw is about. I'm not too sure that anybody's good enough to do jigsaws without seeing what the picture's about. It's too difficult, it's too complicated, there's too many pieces. And our problem at the moment is we don't know where we're going. Well, we don't know where we're going. At the moment, we may have very strong ideas of where we may go in the future and where we should go in the future. Just at this moment of time, it's not very clear. So I think that there is a time always in politics to sit back and engage in a conversation knowing that it is not the time to strike, not the time to make anything really happen, that you just have to be patient, that you have to realize that this is a change, this is a stirring of the whatever, whether it's the waters you're stirring or whether it's the politics you're stirring, it is, it is bubbling up, but it isn't time yet to kind of settle it down uh, and make large decisions. And I think that's to some degree where we're at. So I'm not too sure that we can rush in. I suppose that the, the implication of your question is, should we have something, do, should we have a a government storm and should we try to get back into storm it? Of course we should and we will ultimately try to get back into storm it. but if you were to try to force that situation at this moment of time it's incredibly difficult and maybe even impossible because all of the politics will say ah yes but and that but will keep you outside that door or outside that engagement for I think for a, a, a period of time at least how long that period is uh, is questionable but all of my answers are subject to the fact that I think that Brexit is such uh, such a revolutionary thing it is now it's in the throes of its its dynamics and until its dynamics at least comes to earth somewhere, you know, and settles down and there's a greater clarity, it is going to be nigh impossible to construct anything else. In any of the countries that we're talking about, and what I mean by that is Ireland, Scotland, not so much Wales, and England itself, um, those things are so... 
disrupted and are going to be for the next period of time, that it is very hard to know what we can do except, I suppose, observe to a, to a degree, engage to the degree in which it's practical, uh, and realise that it's going to be very frustrating for a period of time, because first of all, I do not see in, in the broad society or, or the, the small society in which we live, I do not see our civil servants becoming radicalised. <laughs> Uh, and I don't see the structures changing all that quick. And I don't see the one piece of politics that's left, which you already referred to, which is the, the councils, basically. I don't see them being in the position to do all that much outside the normal things that they do. And when you say that every time there's an attempt to reach a political uh, uh, solution to get Storm back and ramming, there's, there's a bat. I presume that the bats are... But what about Brexit? But what about RHI? But what about the constitutional question? And what about the past? Well, I think it's really doing. I think all. I think the past. If if we're talking about the past in the sense of the of the conflict, I think that could be dealt with. I think that all other things could be dealt with uh, apart from the constitutional question. And there's a constitutional question which is now the rupture. Before we deal with that, let's talk about the past because you and Robin Eames put together a package, a proposal, which is widely supported but has not moved on because it didn't get approval. I mean, do you look back on that and think, well, you should have done anything different? Do you stand over all the recommendations within it? Yeah, I do, actually. I think the report in itself is uh, an extremely good report. And one of the worries when you do a report is that you think, will time show up and big weaknesses? Was there a big pothole that we didn't see coming down, all that? That hasn't happened. The report has been incredibly uh, good in that sense. The difficulty with the report, in my mind, looking back, uh, is that there was only one government involved. I think that was a major mistake, and I I, I blame myself to some degree for that. I mean, I pleaded with the Irish to to get involved, to be involved, to be as much a part of it as the British were. Uh, But the Irish at that stage were so engaged in their their collapse. Remember that that was the Celtic Tiger beginning to explode. Um, but even even without the Celtic Tiger exploding, they were so cynical around it. They were very reluctant to 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 engage. I pleaded with them to engage. I've I've said in public before that perhaps I should have walked away and said I'm not getting involved in this unless the Irish government involved on the grounds that my whole political uh, my whole political understanding of our position is that nothing changes in Northern Ireland unless the two governments are engaged. So here I was preaching that on one, on one Sunday, right? And the next Sunday going against it because even though I was reluctant, I, 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 I rationalised and kidded myself that, well, maybe in six months' time they'll get engaged or maybe in nine months' time they'll get engaged. So when the report came to its fruition and when the... British government were faced with the possibility that, you know, unionism was kicking at this thing and saying, we're not going to have this because, you know, this looks as if there's a, across the board there's, we're going to be giving money to the family of people who, who were terrorists and so forth and we're going to have we're going to have no hierarchy and so forth and we're going to have moral equivalence, which was their big thing. Uh, basically, the British government ran away. 
and it was, it was they, the they may not have run away, and I don't think they'd have run away had the Irish been there to say we can't run away from this thing. Now that doesn't mean I think that the Irish are the are the bees knees of Ireland. I just think that when things, when one government is only engaged, I think that you do not get the roundness, and I don't think that you get the maturity and the strength that you have if you have the two governments engaged. It was the payments that seemed to kill it off. Yeah, I mean that's not true. No? Not at all. That's not true. I mean, there was five things within the report that could have been quite explosive. Um, and people saw the, the payment one because it was the most explosive in the sense of that. But those four others that had they ever got to the table were quite explosive. Uh what you do with that type of report if your government you want it to happen is you say, well, we're putting that one aside for the moment and we're doing the report. That yes. happens day in, daily yes. in a report. Yes. You know, journalists are lazy at times, right? They don't ask because they don't go there. I mean, I expect that the day in which they put aside or John Woodward kind of said, we're not going to do that. I thought, thank God, Sean, you've got the report. You're going to do the report, right? Uh, he didn't do the report, right? You put the... you you, you have four or five ones that are bound to be or you, you wait for the explosion to take place and you say right okay that's too difficult. we're not doing that at the moment but we'll get on with the rest of it right and we'll look at this one later on which calms the situation down right it wasn't to do with that as I said there was four or five others that were equally explosive and could we now go back to the report and move it forward well, now we, we, what we did with it was that we made a skeleton of it we took it and we made the you know throughout the uh, Haas came and he did a situation and Haas was at the start saying could we not move incrementally rather than this big kind of thing let's do this incrementally and I says well if you can do that fair play to you better man than me I just think that this is not you know this is like a this is like a forest out there and you have to walk through it right there's not paths around it and you know you have to get into this and he says well let me let me look at this and he by the time he had looked and sat being here for six months says can't get through that forest so you have to deal with the past right and then there was a watering down a little bit on that which was fine and then we got into the into the Stormont House Agreement and they watered not so much watered it down but they put scaffolding around it right and some of the scaffolding is atrocious what I mean by that is that in one of the they divided it up in a way that shouldn't have been divided uh, and that's a difficulty sometimes for example they, they took the thematic stuff which is in many ways the real core of it, right? It's not that every individual case, every individual case is important, but they're only a part of a bigger thematic, you know, whether it's internment, whether it's uh, shoot to kill policies, whether it's the British Army thing, whether it's genocide on the borders, whether it's whatever it might be, there are themes there that inform the individual cases. And they were kind of putting that at the end when in fact that should have been where they were going. You know, an individual cases would be informing that. But that wasn't so bad in itself. But they took some of the themes of for example reconciliation stuff and they were kind of putting about 15 to 20 people in charge of it. You know, the management of it, the corporate governance of it. As if you look at the Good Stormont House Agreement, I mean, I was afraid that three people whom we were recommending were too many. Right? And they were putting 13 people in at one age place and 14 people in at not. Now, that's perhaps what you have to live with and that's perhaps what you have to get on with and that might work and that might be okay. But... You know, among those 13 people will be members of political parties. 
So you're actually kind of trying to deal with something and the participants who don't want to deal with it are in the room managing it. It's a difficulty. So that's the difficulty of Stormont House Agreement in that it has been sectioned off to, to a degree that it shouldn't have been, but it's all right. You can deal with it. At least it has some of the key issues in it and it has a time frame in it which is important because society, I mean, people keep talking about the rights of individuals and the rights of victims and the rights of all kinds of things. They seldom talk about the rights of society. Society also has rights, you know, to deal with someone in a perhaps incomplete, but at least some integrity with some integrity and then move on. Uh, and that, I think, is, 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 is less highlighted. But anyway, uh, that I don't think that in itself at the moment would stop things. Because at least that that the the, the Stormont House Agreement is there, so people can fall back on that. They can they can hide whatever difficulties they have in in that direction. That's a, the first part of the the conversation there. So, Paul, it talks about uh, shared and integrated society. It was referred to by Dennis in the conversation. That's right. Yes, I mean, you know, obviously Dennis is committed to the principle of social integration, mm. but he's very concerned about how we're going to get there, and he's saying really that we have to be careful about how we time the conversations we yeah. have. You know, that you have to do things at the right moment, not at the wrong moment. Yeah, it's a long game here that we're yes. playing, and it's a, um, I suppose, as. As feedback or his response to how Eames Bradley was received was really interesting as well. That's right. I mean, you know, yeah, I, you you feel the frustrations in uh, from Dennis really. You know that mm. you know they, that he and Robin Eames, Lord Eames, had done the work. They come out with something, and and it didn't fly. You yeah. know. And it should have flown, really. And I think a lot of people will say that it should have flown, and it didn't. So, you know, he's got thoughts there about the lessons to learn, not least of which, as we said before, the uh, we, we listened to the tape, the fact that he had to get buy-in from go- both governments. Yeah. And in the end, it was, well, I suppose you could say three governments because, you know, Northern Ireland has its own civil service. Mm-hmm. And that's how you make progress, by making sure you have those three governments on board. Okay, well that's that for this episode. We'll hear from Dennis again in the next episode of the Forward Together podcast that you can keep an eye out for on hollywellstrust.com and sluggerotool.com. So thanks to Dennis um, for having that conversation with Paul and thanks to Dee Kern and Emer Dory for production support. Thanks for listening. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.